Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. of everyone's business but mine with me Kara Berry we have a lot to talk about this week we're diving into pop culture real quick before talking about this is kind of a makeup episode uh Real Houses of Miami Real Housewives of Salt Lake City and I was about to call it Vanderpump Rules Southern Hospitality (laughs) this is like kind of the final week before things really wind down for the year. So I'm excited. I know that a lot of podcasters tend to take off the last two weeks, but not this one. Not your girl. We've already got a few episodes locked and loaded. Our usual end of the year specials will be out next week and the week following. I'm excited. I hope you guys are too, but let's get into the drama because damn last week I was talking about how it was cuffing season everybody was hooking up left and right being weird about it Selena Gomez and Benny Blanco and uh, you know all that I thought love was in the air false 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 there have been various some very dark situations happening and well you know I've been following them and just been giggling about the shenanigans that him and Croy have been up to but uh this got bad this was not good this is real bad (laughs) real bad you guys if you missed it damn um so we had heard or I had heard that there was an altercation another altercation or whatever an incident in which the cops were called to their home that I'm actually surprised that they're still able to occupy I'm really shocked that there hasn't been some sort of permanent lock put on the front door but that's another we can move on so This happened on November 20th, and there was, you know, talk about this happening 
and they're being like body cam footage but the body cam footage was actually released last week and it's tough it's dark and it's tough starting off with the fact that apparently the cops were called by one of the minor children and saying that basically daddy was hitting mommy right um it said so the cops come up there they're come up to the house they're trying to like speak to the minors and Croy is thinking this is a situation where it's like if I don't invite the cops into my home then they can't enter this is like unlawful entry but there is also like a crime being reported so I think that maybe they do have the the uh ability to talk to the children that called or the children that were in the home so Apparently, allegedly, during the exchange, uh, one kid said that it looked like Croy may have hit Kim, but when they asked the child to elaborate on the situation, he said that Croy put his hands into Kim's face, but not in an aggressive manner. And apparently the other children present told officers on multiple occasions that the argument never turned physical and that their parents were just yelling at each other. Um... You know, I I really don't feel like it's fair to make an outright, to like really put my opinion on that situation because these are children and, you know, who knows what happened, who knows what they saw or they thought they saw. You can see the police show up to your house and get a little nervous and not want your dad to go and, you know, maybe your story changes, maybe it doesn't, maybe the kid freaked out. Maybe they were completely telling the truth and and then was like, "Mm, I don't want my dad to go to jail, so I'm going to, like, tone it down a bit. I don't know. It could really go 50-50 with me. Um, But getting into this, I guess they they then addressed Kim. They tried to ask her what was going on. She says they had been arguing all day, off and on, about just random things. We also have to put into perspective that this was November 20th and famously their wedding anniversary is 11-11 and they celebrated it this year for whatever reason. And so now this is like a week and a half after their anniversary. Shit. Shit. So in this body cam footage, Croy is done. He is screaming what what's the issue why are you so upset they're asking him he's like our life is destroyed what don't you understand there's no money there's no house we're getting divorced one day not the next she's fucking other men like what do you want like he he's like truly done <laughs> like at the end of his rope um you know people did bring up the fact and remind us of the fact that the homeboy brought a gun to the last uh atlanta reunion that they were at where Kim embarrassed herself by saying that like racism didn't exist before social media or whatever the fuck she tried to <laughs> tried to say <laughs> weird ass. Um, and so, you know, that is a terrifying position to be in. Like he's a former football player. He's a big dude and whatever. I don't want to like make any claims that anybody might be abusive, but what I saw was a man who was in a state where like, Again, I don't want to say that he would be physically abusive, but he just, like, he definitely looked at the end of his rope. You know, and that's, like, not a place that children should be around, regardless of where it goes. You know, if it's just screaming, that's still bad. You're screaming on the outside of the, um, you know, in your front yard to the cops, like, that's still bad. That's still bad. Um, I remember 
this is not the first time a kid has called or, you know, one of their children has called uh, the cops on them. I believe Brielle did this earlier this year and that was a whole thing. I, I want better for these kids. That's really who I care about. Like, I don't, you know, like Kim and Croy, y'all are grown ass adults and the decisions, like, I, I know that Kim, how do I say this? I'm going to say two things. First of all, Kim and Croy's relationship is one of those relationships where I'm like, nothing about how they navigate the world would be anything that I find that I would want in a permanent relationship, but there's a lid for every pot. They seem happy and therefore, you know, blessings to them, right? You know, this is not, this is not like where I thought that they were going to go. I definitely thought Kim would run them into financial despair, gambling, whatever. All, by the way, while all of this had come out, she was selling her, you know, used Chanel's at, at the uh, retail price on Instagram as she wants to do. And then she <laughs> issued a statement through, I believe, Celeb Buzz, which is the website that people go to when people like, uh, you know, the teen mom girls are like, guess who's pregnant? Like Kim has been doing, um, posting pictures of sonograms with Brielle's name on them as though Brielle is pregnant. She's actually been doing this in the past couple weeks. Like, I'm about to be a grandma. Click here. <laughs> Brielle ain't no damn pregnant. That's weird. That is weird. You're selling. We've already, you already <clears throat> tried to uh, sell her mouth for John Legend tickets. And now here we are faking wombs for clicks. For what? Five cents a click? I gave her five cents. I, I will admit that. I, I did click on the link because I wanted to see if it actually, if she actually had released a statement. Because usually those things are just like, oh, she's excited about the future. Or like, whatever. What is Amber from Teen Mom up to? <laughs> like, but she actually did issue a statement. You had to click several times. So maybe I gave her about 20 cents to find said statement. So this is just all about her, um, Croy alleging that she cheated. So what does she say? She says in the statement, um, okay, sorry, one second. Okay, it starts off by saying, I would like to respond to the video that took place and was released by the Milton Police Department. The comments made in the body cam footage from Croy, who is obviously enraged, are untrue. I vehemently deny any allegations that I've been unfaithful to Croy at any point in our 12-year marriage, and any claim to the contrary is downright false, baseless, and slanderous. And then she goes on to say, I have tried not to speak on these hurtful allegations, but I'm at a breaking point with this, and I will not stay silent while my character is being assassinated. And then she goes on to say, any other allegations made from any videos that are in the press will be addressed by my legal team at an appropriate time. To all my fans and supporters that have stood by me, thank you from the bottom of my heart. I truly appreciate you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The article does mention at the very, or the bottom of the statement says that um, it, it uh, tells us when each of them 
initially filed for the divorce, which just feels shady. Like, did you have to say the couple both initially filed for divorce last spring? According to court documentation, the couple had been separated since April and officially filed, filed the divorce paperwork on May 8th. Croy submitted his paperwork at 1.15 p.m. and Kim submitted hers at 3.40 p.m. 3.44 p.m. local time. <laughs> I don't know if that needed to be added, but it, it just felt like a little bit shady. It, I appreciate that. I do. So I think now it's been coming out that her friends or their friends or whoever speaks to them because they don't seem to have friends or family or any sort of community outside of each other um, have been like, you guys really need to call it. I believe a lawyer did or a judge rather did say you guys need to go to like actual mediation and he ordered them to do so. So I really hope that this happens. Like, Listen, it's one thing when Kim's like clearly being a merry prankster, scammer, whatever, and they're like kind of being dramatic, getting back together, whatever. He's got his natural hair color back. He's no longer caked up in makeup, like, you know, whatever. But this is dark. Like, kids don't deserve this. They do not. They do not. So we're going to move on. Speaking of other kids who don't deserve things, uh, we have an update on Ruby Frankie. You guys remember her back in August? She she was a YouTube Mormon blogger or vlogger on YouTube. She had a family channel and she was doing all that weird shit. And then she joined up with this lady from a, a scam therapy business called Connections named Jody Hildebrandt. And those two weird asses uh, started getting very abusive towards uh, Ruby's children to the point where one of the kids knocked on the neighbor's door and is like, hey, um, can I have something to eat? They were emaciated, malnourished, multiple children in that house. They ended up arresting Ruby and Jody. The kids end up getting help. Um, Ruby also was married at this time and she had not seen her husband or lived with him in over a year when she got arrested. So he actually just filed for divorce not too long ago. But Ruby... Ruby is actually filing a plea deal today, this morning, on December 18th. She and her lawyers are trying to get out of this situation. So basically, uh, Ruby's now working with prosecutors on a plea deal. Her lawyers have issued a statement saying, Our client is working with the prosecutor's office and anticipates resolving this matter quickly by entering a plea agreement on Monday, December 18th, describing Ruby as a, quote, devoted mother who's also a woman committed to constant improvement. Now, I'm just going to give you guys, I talked about this on Patreon, but just a brief cliff notes of what Ruby did. Um, She would constantly, and this was like things, her YouTube channel has been taken down for obvious reasons, but um, before that, there were a lot of clips of her withholding food from her children, making one of her sons sleep in the living room on a beanbag for like nine months because he did something that was not worth that. We'll say that. Um, Like stinky breath. There were multiple times where her kids were like, your breath really stinks. Just a, a slew of, of abuse towards children. We'll say that. Um, so to be like you're a devoted mother when you were actively, gleefully keeping them from eating. Cool. There was also one clip that really pisses me off. Her, her um, daughter's teacher called one day to be like, hey, so-and-so doesn't have lunch. 
I feel really bad for her. Can you come bring her lunch? And Ruby's like, no, that's her responsibility. I can't do anything. If she wanted the food, she should have gotten the food. Now, mind you, this girl was in elementary school. Just like, well, I, and, and she said, I hope the teacher doesn't feed her. So she could teach her a lesson. Jesus. So then this is you as a devoted mother. Crazy, crazy. But basically their plea or their uh, stance is that Ruby was uh, brainwashed essentially by Jody, led astray, bamboozled. In the statement, her lawyers say that Ruby found herself on a challenging path under the influence of Jody. That initially Ruby believed that Jody had the insight to offer a path of continual improvement. But she took advantage of this quest and twisted it into something heinous. And over an extended period of time, Jody systematically isolated Ruby from her extended family, her older children, her husband. And the prolonged isolation resulted in Ruby being subjected to a, quote, distorted sense of morality shaped by Jody's influence. Then it goes on to say that during the months since Jody's been locked up in that jail, she's, you know, been realizing stuff. And has actively engaged in an introspection that allowed her to reset her moral compass and understand the full weight of her actions. Yeah, I bet it did, girl. (laughs) I I bet it did. Then it goes on to say that she's uh, committed to taking responsibility for the part that she played leading up to incarceration, which is like, yeah, you should be in jail. If you want to take responsibility, then sit your ass in jail, girl. Demonstrating a a sincere dedication to personal growth and rehabilitation Ruby has actively begun the process by reaching out to members of her family. And through heartfelt apologies, she seeks to mend those relationships and contribute positively to the healing journey of her family. Now, we'll see. We'll see. Okay, girl. Okay. I want to give, before we end this into the uh, recaps, my girl to Francis and Jessica. Dr. Francis Martinez and his wife, Jessica who were just charged last week on four counts of criminal sale of prescription for a controlled substance by a practitioner and four counts of falsifying business records. This is all coming out of New York. So apparently these investigations started earlier this year when Jessica would go to a pharmacy in Kings Park, New York to fill a fake oxycodone prescription. It was a handwritten prescription that she gave to the pharmacist. The pharmacist called the police. This launched an investigation that found out that Jessica was going to dozens of uh, pharmacies in the Long Island area over two years getting uh, scripts for Oxy. Again, her husband is a doctor. I'm not sure which kind of doctor he is, but he's a doctor. So according to the authorities, Jessica would pick up prescriptions and pay in cash as part of the scheme. Several of the prescriptions were written under the names of two members of Below Deck. <laughs> now, I tried to figure out who these were because, you know, I'm nothing if not a journalist. I couldn't find out who they were, but I will say that um, there are multiple pictures of them with uh, Joao, is that how you pronounce it? And Hannah. Is that June June Hannah? Are there multiple Hannahs on Below Deck? I'm not sure. I know the phrase June June Hannah, but I don't know who Hannah is or June. (laughs) So there's that. Um, But I do think that this might be the Hannah of June June Hannah. Unless there are other Hannahs. In which case I, I revoke that. But anyway, 
So they were on um, a season of, I believe, Below Deck proper in two night. Oh no, excuse me. It was they were on season four of Below Deck Med. That was in 2019, and then in 2020, um, they were on Below Deck Sailing Yacht. So if you guys want to go back and watch those episodes, check it out. And apparently, I guess they maintain friendships with a lot of the cast members off the show would hang out or, you know, maybe they at least went to a party or two together. Um, they definitely have evidence of them hanging out in social situations. So it's not even like, oh, I saw these people on a boat. It's like, oh, I actually might have some sort of relationship with them. So that really, I don't know. <laughs> like, I'm trying to think if it were me, would I be mad? Uh, I mean, I would definitely feel some type of way. Like, I don't want to be involved in this. But also, it's very obvious that none of those people were involved in this. So there's no trouble that they can get into. You know what I mean? Which doesn't mean that they're not allowed to be upset about it. I'm just saying, like, eh. Like, that's crazy. And I would be mad. But I wouldn't be mad. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I don't think it makes sense. Anyway, you guys, thank you so much. We are going to get into our recap, starting with uh, Salt Lake, then Miami, then Southern Hospitality. You guys can check the timestamps in the episode description for when, you know, if you want to go to a particular moment in time in this episode. Also, it's still, we're still in the Christmas spirit. This is going to be the last week that I bother you guys about this. I just want you guys to follow my Christmas wish is for you guys to follow me on Instagram. A lot of you guys have, and I really, really appreciate that. Thank you guys so much who commented to reach out and said, I'm following you. I love you. Love you guys. Thank you. Join the crew. Join the crew. We have fun. All right, let's move on. I have to John Barlow. No, you gotta pay. We all take one. I can't anybody else. Stop. Play the game. I can't even think of anybody else because I lost John. What about a celebrity? Idris Elba. God damn, Lisa, let John's body get cold before you jump on top of Idris Elba's. She was waiting to say that answer for her entire life. What? What? Number two, Idris Elba. Let's get into this latest episode of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Tough stuff. (laughs) Tough stuff all around. I want to say that maybe this might be my least favorite episode of the season. Might be. Still a good season. But not my favorite. So we start off with Heather being upset because Whitney had told her to shut the fuck up the night before. So she's still feeling some type of way as she's decorating for Monica's birthday breakfast. She is having no problem talking to Angie and uh, Lisa, I think, or Meredith, rather, about how upset she is. How she feels like Whitney owes her an apology because she was being petty right as Whitney walks in. And they're like, oh, can you hear... Um, did you hear us talking about you? And she goes, yeah, actually I did. <laughs> so basically Heather does demand an apology from Whitney. They give each other like a fake hug or whatever. You know, things are never good for them for long. Whitney says in a confessional, I hope this one actually sticks because I don't want to waste another apology on Heather. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Heather takes mom, mo- makes Monica queen for a day. Cause like I said, it's her birthday. And Monica gets all emotional about how, like, basically nobody's ever done this for her before. And this is, like, a very special day for her. 
So then she tells the ladies what the what's on the docket for the day, right? They're going to go jet skiing. She's going to go visit her family. She's not seen this family in Bermuda for 30 years. It's her mama's side of the family. It's going to be a time. Apparently, they all live in one big house together. Some of them are going to be there. Great. So then Monica reveals that Linda was supposed to meet her for therapy, like they talked about, a couple weeks ago, but never showed up. So we see in a flashback where Monica is having to tell the therapist who's asking her, where's your mama? That basically her mom lost her shit on her in a couple days leading up to the therapy session. And now she basically feels alone. Like, what's wrong with me that my mom was the one who planned this session and she can't even show up? Like, what's the deal with that? So then Monica tells the ladies that she has been contacting her family members here. Linda has been contacting the family members about wanting to surprise Monica for her birthday, which is like a mind fuck for her because she feels like Linda just wants to be down in Bermuda and she's trying to wrap it up in this like, oh, I want to surprise Monica for her birthday when they're not even speaking to each other at this point and trying to make it seem like they're in a good place when they never are, you know? So then they're going to be doing a pirate wench themed dinner. And Lisa says, you know, I don't do costumes, so my contribution will be hoop earrings. Monica invites Lisa, of all people, to come meet her family, since they're on a great trajectory, allegedly. But then she uses this opportunity to tell her, yo, Meredith called me the other day, and she told me that Angie might be in the Greek Mafia. Cut to Angie in the pool, or attempting to get in the pool. She's wearing a bikini with the Greek flag on it. trying to get onto a flamingo pool float just like oh okay 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 just be careful you got it you got this you got this (laughs) the lower third while angie's struggling with this flamingo says angie the don katsanavis greek mafia question mark monica says that they were talking about angie the dms we're talking about angie her financial situation sean's financial situation Probably, you know, the financial situation of the boy band that he's in, Drew, Nick, all of them, they owe 170 k to the IRS, allegedly. Both Angie and Sean have allegedly uh, filed for bankruptcy, and they got the documents to prove it in an attachment. So Lisa's like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, these are ridiculous lies, but there's so much ripple effect with Meredith, and it's just horrible. Well, Lisa says, well... This is kind of like the same thing that happened last year with my FCC filing that came out when Meredith wanted to mention that. So it kind of feels like Meredith is setting you up to do her dirty work because she hates Angie. So she's sending some anonymous threat and let somebody else do it like you. Like she's losing it. This is crazy. (laughs) This is crazy. Reading those, um, the screenshot of the DM, I, I thought like this, the, the language was giving Meredith like Meredith kind of speaks a little bit like a Cheshire cat and I just felt like and the other part is like if nobody really knew that who Monica was because she's never been on the show before why would they be so pressured to DM her about Angie who was barely on the show it just doesn't really make sense but definitely we'll talk more about that later The ladies go jet skiing, and when they get back into the van, like, it's a fun time, legs up, 
going to see a pirate wreck, having a great time on the water, right? So they get back in the van. Monica looks down at her phone and rushes out of the van. There's a bathroom right outside. She's like <sighs> crying and Lisa follows after her. Everybody else is confused, <laughs> probably getting flashbacks. This cast very rarely gets on a bus without something deeply chaotic happening. <laughs> Just like, do these ladies have PTSD? Is Bravo, uh, you know, getting them the help that they need? Every time they get on a van, somebody's getting popped by the feds, screaming. Mary's saying that people called her a pornography. Like, it's a whole thing. <laughs> it's just a lot, a lot to take in. So everybody's confused. Lisa follows after her. And she's like, what's going on? Monica tells her, my mom made my family not see her. And Lisa's like, why would she do this to you? She's like, really, really having a hard time, like, getting herself together. Monica says in a confessional that... A couple of hours ago, she was ready to see her family, but all of a sudden she gets a text from one of them saying that they don't want to see her. And she can't help but think that her mom was involved in that because she wanted to be in Bermuda and was upset that she didn't get that trip. So Lisa says in a confessional, I can't believe Monica's mom would do this to her. Meddle in something like this on her birthday. I feel so bad for her. Because like I don't know much about the dynamic with Monica and her mom, but clearly it's very different than what I thought it was. So... Lisa and Monica get back on the van. And so obviously everybody's like, girl, what just happened? Why are you crying? Why are you coming on this van with one shoe on? Like, what the hell's going on? So all Monica can say is like, oh, shoeless guys. Uh. It's not funny. It's actually very sad. But she can't tell them what's going on. So Lisa's like, well, can I speak on your behalf? And she tells everybody, you know, Monica's family just canceled on her. So then this kind of gets Monica into an emotional whirlwind about, like, I don't have family. And they're like, no, yes, you do. You have your four beautiful daughters. Like, don't worry about it. You're fine. She's like, no, for real. I don't have my my ex's family to go back to. I don't have my mom. And now she just took away my family. Like, I just feel completely alone. I feel like I'm not wanted anywhere. And for my own mom to contribute to that, it's just gross. So they decide to go back to the resort and they have uh or the house rather they have lunch on the beach and Lisa goes you guys know that I don't like games so you know it's special so I think we should play marry fuck kill with our husbands and ex-husbands Angie claims that she has no idea how to play fuck marry kill why because it's not Greek like (laughs) I don't understand how this woman has lived in America her entire life Utah of all places probably one of the states with the biggest amount of monoculture and she acts like she has never stepped foot in America until last year it's wild (laughs) so Meredith says for all of her choices she would fuck Mary and kill Seth fair enough Monica says that she would marry Justin she'd fuck Seth and kill Sean but then she says that she would actually fuck John and Seth which I think is probably the most common answer if we had to dip into the pool of our Salt Lake men. I, I, I think Monica may have hit on that one. Angie asks, like, why do I have to choose anybody? Or no, does she ask, do we have to say why we chose the person we chose? And they're like, no, 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 no. Please, let, we're trying to have fun here. We're not going to go into why we'd kill anybody's husband. No, thank you. So Whitney goes, she says she'd marry John. Fuck Sean. And kill Seth. 
Lisa says she would marry Justin or Sean. Fuck John because she loves him. But when they're like, girl, that's your husband. Pick somebody else. Pick a celebrity at least. Idris Elba. Idris Elba. <laughs> Love it. Love that. Something about that is not at all surprising to me. That makes absolute sense that Lisa would be horny for Idris Elba. <laughs> Angie finally plays that she thinks that she would marry Justin, kill Monica's ex-husband, and then fuck Sean. Sorry. Heather picks Seth for all of them. She's like, I'd fuck him, I'd marry him, I'd kill him, and then I'd take all the money. And we're like, yes, ma'am. That actually might be my pick. That is my pick. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> Something about Seth is like, he's just so deeply heterosexual in a way that's like, not attractive, but kind of attractive. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but it's like, I think that I used to be attracted to like the most basic men. And I'm talking like middle school, early years of high school. Right. And so I think there's something about that that like reminds me of like the boys that I used to go to school with where I'm like, okay, I could deal with Seth. Like Seth and I could have a great time, you know, like doing whatever we do. Okay. This is a Christian podcast. I'm not going to get into the details, but there's something about Seth that I do like very, very deep inside of me find attractive. And like a lot of people try to come at me. Like if you had to go Seth versus John, I'm a Seth girl. That's my truth. The John girls don't want to believe me. They don't want to support me, but here's my thing. I'm not saying that John is unattractive, I'm just saying, I don't feel like Seth or John could fuck, but I feel like leading up to the flop fucking, Seth and I would just have more fun. And we'd have more fun after that. Like, the pillow talk would be fun. Like, with John, I just feel like, well, I don't know. Maybe John's, like, quiet because he's got that deck. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm going to have to think about this, actually. Also, to be honest, like, now that I am thinking about it more... I don't know that, like, Lisa and I are on the same same wavelength sexually. Like, I don't, I don't know if, that, if Lisa could ever be free enough to have an orgasm. Like, not that she's incapable. I just don't think, like, I don't think she's capable. <laughs> like, she could have one, but that would just require, like, a lot of her not being aware, so hyper aware of herself. And I just, I don't know if she could get there. But I also think she fully has orgasms when she, like goes to the Louis Vuitton store or somebody compliments her or she gets like a really good order of uh, Diet Coke and, and probably a quesadilla or something at Taco Bell. Like those are the things that get Lisa Barlow off, I think. It, and it's not John's fault. I just think, you know, we all have our stuff. So after they play Fuck, Mary Kill, Lisa's like, Angie, I need to talk to you for a second. Let's go to the beach. So they do their little beach walk in their matching purple Versace bathing suits and visors. And Lisa tells her about the Greek mafia rumor and how she told Monica that she thinks it's Meredith DMing her because of the FCC documents that she had come out about her last year. So Angie's like, okay, if she wants to keep coming for me, she's making a lifetime commitment. And in a confessional, she says, I'm just sick of her coming for my business and my family. So if Meredith wants to see gangster, she'll see gangster. Okay. So Angie goes straight to Monica and tells her what Lisa told her. And Monica's like, listen, 
I just want you to know that I never would have known about those DMs how, had Meredith not specifically called me and told me to check them. So Angie's like, well, sounds like Meredith left a breadcrumb with you so that you look like the big mouth and the troublemaker once again. And Monica's like, well, chill. <laughs> I think we could just say that I'm, I'm the one who would bring it up. Okay, we don't have to say big mouth. <laughs> Earlier... In one of the van rides, Monica was asking Heather about her daughter, Ashley, and whether or not Ashley's having sex. I have to be kind of on team Heather about this. Monica was acting like Heather was being like really buttoned up and, and, and closed off about this whole situation. But I'm like, that's her daughter. Does she necessarily want to, I don't know. Like I would be mortified if my mom was talking about whether or not I've lost my virginity on television to a bunch of women and not me. Like if she and Ashley had had a conversation about it, that would be one thing. But Monica's like, tell, tell everybody about, you know, (laughs) your daughter. It's like, that's kind of a weird thing. And to act like, Oh, this is like a Mormon culture thing. I don't, I don't know that it necessarily is. Now the second part that happens, maybe, but this part I'm, I'm team Heather. So when they're at the dinner, the pirate dinner, Monica's like, well, since I was sex shamed earlier, I just thought we'd play another game. And I want to know when the last time everybody had sex was. Whitney, I think, was the one who starts it by said that, saying that she had sex either like the day they left or the day before they left for Bermuda. And I honestly think that all the other women were just like, I'm just going to say something in that time frame because I don't want to admit that maybe it was longer than 24 hours before I left for this trip. So all of them are like, yeah, well, the day before, the day of, you know, same, also the same. Me too. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. So then Heather says she does not want to answer the question. Her answer is that she doesn't want to answer, that she does not want to participate. And then, you know, she says in the confessional that she actually does not want to talk to Monica about sex because she's seen the way that Monica has spoken about sex before. And we get a flashback to her being like, oh, yeah, I fucked my ex-husband's brother-in-law for a year and a half, which I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that would really scandalize me. But then Monica or Heather rather is like, I don't feel like this is a fair question because I'm the only single person at this table. Everybody else is married. If I you know, say when it was, and I'm basically like exposing myself, which is another actually fair point now that I think about it. (laughs) But Monica's like, you're actually not the only single person at this table. I'm also single. Just because I'm technically still married doesn't mean I can't go out there and fuck somebody else. I'm just like, "Mm -hmm." I don't know how much that mattered to you when you were married. But anyway, (laughs) I get what, no, I'm, I'm team Heather on this one too. Because she is right. It's like, everybody else has husbands, so you can be like, oh, I had sex. But if I'm saying I had sex a week ago, then here comes the questions of who were you having sex with, you know? And then it opens me up, and and I'm having to have conversations that nobody else has to have because they got a ring on their finger. Also fair for Monica to be like, I'm single just because I'm in the divorce proceedings and this man won't sign a paper doesn't mean that I'm not single and I'm not free to do whatever I want. So maybe, maybe neutral on either. This is not the only fight that we have at this table. It gets a little heated. And so Angie's like, well, I'm going to take the heat off of you two. Meredith, you have yet again come for me. 
Meredith claims she has no idea what Angie's referring to. So Angie goes, I'm going to wet my whistle because this is a lot of information. And then starts swigging her wine. So then she says, you're accusing me of doing fraudulent things and being in the Greek mafia. And Meredith, you only have one employee. I have hundreds, hundreds of people that I employ that you're risking the livelihood of by spreading these rumors. Meredith is getting off on a very technical thing. I did not say that you had a bankruptcy filing. I did not say that. I never said that, which is true. She alerted Monica to the DMs that said that. But then this turns into like an everybody versus Meredith situation where Whitney's like, this is a history and a pattern, okay? <laughs> You're always DMing me, people. Lisa's popping off about, like, I'm going to call cybersecurity. <laughs> You've done this before, Meredith. You were, you're a pattern. You did this to Mary. You did this to Jen. You said before Jen got arrested that she's going to have a RICO case coming up. Stop doing this. You want to dig up stuff on people? I'll do it to you and I'll go to the ends of the earth. If one more fucking DM shows up, I'll call my cybersecurity team on it. To which Whitney is in a confession like, what? why the hell does Lisa have a cybersecurity guy? Like, do I need one? <laughs> Lisa says in a confessional, John and I employ- cross our T's and dot our I's, okay? Would you not expect us to have somebody who works in cybersecurity? Bitch, you've been warned. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know, when it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all. But when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. I like barely know that Vita is in production, girl. I really don't know what it is you do. You're the queen of Sundance, Vita Tequila. I'm 
dying to know how do how are we working I've never seen Vita in real life not that I'm really down to the liquor store ever but I've never even seen people posting about Vita I don't know how you purchase it is it nationally available is it available nationwide where was I going with this oh I don't know what Lisa actually does (laughs) so why would you need cybersecurity can the cybersecurity tell us where Vita is available? And oh, oh, here's my other thing. How every time they go to order something, Lisa is able to order a Vita tequila. How is that possible? A Vita cocktail. I'll, I'll just have a Vita cocktail. And what is a Vita cocktail? Like, be more specific. What's in it? Do all these restaurants in the Salt Lake City area have just Vita cocktail? Or is there, there's obviously some kind of like, something happening before she sits down and orders a Vita cocktail. I just would like to know that. So if you could slide that over to my email address, Mr. Geek Squad, I would love to know. All right, let's move on to uh, Miami. It's like Lisa always have to find a way to bring up Lenny. I can say right now I have a yeast infection. She'll be like, oh my God, Lenny have a yeast infection too. So Lenny has used a post And what happens is I have to respond to it because I have to defend myself. Does anyone have a tweezer? I just want to pluck my eyelash one by one if I hear the word Lenny. If if she mentions Lenny this whole trip, I may have no eyelashes left, literally. It's painful. It's painful. You know what I love? You know what you should do? I think you're in a great relationship. Move on. Miami. Kind of, again, not a great episode. It was still, like, pretty good, but it was fine. So they're all on Palm Beach, right? Because Lisa's starting a fragrance line with Aroma 360 or something. So she decides, let's have fun, girls, on day one. We're going to do a scavenger hunt. And she makes the Cubanas, Dr. Nicole, Marisol, and Alexia, who don't really get along with each other, all team up. So they're trying to find like lip gloss or tampons or something underwear in somebody's luggage, right? So Nicole's digging through Kiki's luggage and out pops an orange dildo that honestly was like surprisingly coordinating with Dr. Nicole's outfit. She wanted to act so horrified, but you know, maybe don't go digging through people's luggage if you don't want to find things that you don't want to touch. That would be my thing. Kiki says in a confessional, She does not go anywhere for more than six hours without packing her dildo because you never know what kind of mood somebody's going to be in. (laughs) I'm not quite there, but I I respect her. I respect her. (laughs) Then Alexia calls it a dildo. (laughs) A dildo. But they do end up bonding, Dr. Nicole and Marisol. And afterwards, Nicole and Marisol have a drink. And Marisol basically tells her that their relationship probably got on bad footing because she was trying to defend her friends. And she, Dr. Nicole was new. She probably went a little hard on trying to test her or whatever, but she apologizes. And she also tells Dr. Nicole, don't feel like you have to make up with me that quickly or forgive me so quickly. Like you can haze me back if you want to. But Dr. Nicole says, listen, I've had a bunch, bunch of therapy for my dad and or because of my dad. So I just like don't want to live in this place where I don't forgive quickly. I don't want to hold on to stuff. So we're good. After that, the ladies go to dinner. 
Marisol says that she wants to apologize for saying that Adriana was a snake who lives miserable and in the dirt while they were on their... Where were they? They weren't going to Palm Beach. They were going somewhere else. And Adriana warned everybody that she had to toot. And then this kind of devolved into Marisol calling her a snake. You guys remember. (laughs) But basically, Alexia says, I think you guys need to, like, keep your fights between you two because I get involved or I get roped into things. And, like, a month ago, Marisol... You were feeling some type of way about me getting along with Adriana to the point where you didn't want to show up to my house. So Marisol explains, well, I've been in a rocky spot with Adriana for a while and I just feel like we just keep butting heads. We keep trying to one up each other. So we're going to try to get along this weekend. Julia says in a confessional that she does think it's great that Marisol apologized, but she's also the one who's stirring the pot most of the time. So she doesn't really know if she believes it. So she tells Marisol I feel like you're the reason why none of us can really move forward. Because when the rumors about uh, Terry, Adriana's man that she half-dated last season, came out about him possibly being married, Marisol, you just let Alexia be the one to defend herself. You just hung her out to dry and sat there and didn't say anything. To which Alexia was like, yeah, bro, actually that is true. (laughs) You don't say things about people on the group and then you don't want to own up to it and I'm the one who always gets the heat for it. Everybody is shocked that Alexia is actually standing up to Marisol because, you know, they're two peds, two peas, two, two T's even. Let's just say they're two T's, <laughs> two T's in a pod. <laughs> and yeah, they like really never go. I'm trying to figure out what the timing was. Was this after, it must have been after they filmed their girls trip and they were kind of on shaky ground then. So I'm wondering if this is just like a continuation of what happened with Girls Trip. So then even Larsa's like, yeah, uh, uh, Alexia, not Marisol, you're the one who likes to stir the pot. When it gets hot, you're the first one to leave. And you set up this whole drama between Nicole and I. We were going to war and I didn't even know why. Like, yeah, we, we know that you were just fighting and screaming and had no idea why you were dead ass wrong trying to spend some, spread some rumor about Dr. Nicole fucking a, another doctor. Did she say that they hooked up at the hospital? <laughs> but you don't know why you were fighting. Okay. Yes. Marisol was the one who showed Nicole the DM, but you really had your, you were stirred the pot a little bit too, but fair enough. Marisol does happen to be the common denominator in terms of participating in a a bunch of mess that happens on this show. So Marisol's like, yeah, well, you're right. I probably shouldn't have done that part. So Julia asks, um, is it true that you hire a a private investigator to look at certain people? Is that true? Because I've heard that. Marisol says in a confessional, Julia is like the last hair left on your vagina. Just pull it. It it just like won't leave you alone. Julia's doing the work, though, okay? But then Lisa reveals that while they were in New York for the reunion, there was a lot of talk going around about somebody being hired to follow Nicole's husband, Anthony. Nicole says, I heard the same thing, and everybody told me that Marisol, you were the one who was investigating. Then she talks about how every Friday, Anthony takes whoever wants to go from his office to 
happy hour. It's no big deal. Four o'clock on Friday. Let's go. It's like a team morale thing. He was there with another lawyer, a female lawyer, and that Anthony had told her that night that he thought somebody was taking pictures of him and his employee, co-worker, making it look like, you know, he was stepping and pepping out on Dr. Nicole. So Marisol's like, I would not pay for a private investigator, okay? I'm not that nasty and I'm not that calculated. So then Julia says, well, when I was in Europe, and I'm not going to say who told me this, this was before New York, somebody told me that they were worried about me being friends with you, or uh, with me being friends with Adriana, because Marisol's going around asking for information about her. Marisol clocks it immediately. It's like, is this my ex that you're talking about? Because you're friends with him? And I, like, maybe wouldn't take information and rumors from somebody who I had a really toxic relationship with. And actually, I really don't want to talk about my ex anymore. Can we stop talking about that man? Lisa takes this opportunity to be like, yeah, if anybody, if you guys were um, talking about or hanging out with Lenny, I would be very upset about it. And everybody's like, good God. Can we go through a fucking meal without Lenny's name being brought up? Kiki says in a confessional, Lisa always finds a reason to bring up Lenny. I could say I had a yeast infection and Lisa would be like, oh my God, Lenny has a yeast infection too. <laughs> Gertie says at this point, I just want to pull out an eyelash every time Lisa talks about Lenny. But if I, you know, by the time we end this trip, I'm not going to have any eyelashes left. Like this is ridiculous. So Kiki tries to tell Lisa, I really think you need to enjoy your relationship with Jody, you know, because it's always about Lenny, Lenny, Lenny all the time. So Lisa calls her insensitive and Kiki's like, no, I see you girl. Like I've been through a divorce too. I've been through the same things. Just start focusing on your business, your children, move on. Larsa does say in a confessional, Lisa talks about Lenny a lot to the point where, you know, I just think that I've maybe even woken up from my uh, sleep saying, Lenny. (laughs) So then Lisa's like, well, yeah, we're in the same place, but like I'm in the thick of it right now. This is a lot of work for me. Kiki says, but you're giving Lenny too much of your time. To which Lisa was like, well, how does this affect you? Who are you to talk to me about things that affect my life? What, what's going on with you? So Kiki's like, okay, well, then I guess Lenny's still part of your life. But then she's like, Lisa, we hear 10% about Jody, 90% about Lenny. I could literally make a song about Lenny. I'd probably be a billionaire right now if I sold it. <laughs> I could write a whole song about him. <laughs> I'm not sure if Kiki knows how streaming works, but because I'm not hitting stream on a song about Lenny. I'll tell you that right now. Okay. (laughs) Not happening. Lisa then gets so upset that she asks Larsa if they'll switch seats so she doesn't have to sit next to Kiki. So Kiki gets up to go to the bathroom. Dr. Nicole goes with her and we hear her say, was I being too mean? And Nicole's like, no, but like Lisa's like, you know, it's like a little bird. Okay. (laughs) Like... She needs to, Lisa's screaming at the table, not screaming, she's, she's our, our laryngitis girl of Miami, just like, hey people, it's, it's not a normal divorce because it's in the press every day, which is like, yeah, you're also putting these items in, and I kind of feel like, listen, Lenny's a fucking weirdo, no doubt about that, but I also feel like y'all are playing the same game, and 
I think it's kind of like, you can't help yourself from responding. You don't need to. Because all these articles that I've read of Lenny from page six talking about Lisa, they all sound like a man scorned. So I just feel like if you had just, if you would just stop calling your contact at page six, maybe Lenny stops, maybe he doesn't. But if he doesn't stop, that's only going to look better for you in the long run, legally speaking. So be quiet. So then we go back to the table and Larsa decides to take this opportunity to tell Gertie that basically she did nothing wrong. She's going to continue to do nothing wrong. And that's basically it. She meant all the good in telling everybody about her cancer diagnosis, despite the fact that Gertie specifically told her not to. And if you can't understand that, then I don't know. Like, 8-bit, 2-bit, 2-bit Pippin. I, I can't deal with her. Like, her logic is so twisted that I just, like, I don't even know where I am. Where am I? I'm in that fucking, uh, you know, in Willy Wonka, the original one, I refuse to watch any of the other ones, okay? The only Willy Wonka I acknowledge is Gene Wilder. But in that one... They go in that, like, there's no way that we were going. You know, like, when they're in that, like, little hallway with the, not the hallway, that little tube with with the thing. <laughs> they're on a boat and things get real psychedelic. That's what I'm talking about. That's where I feel like I am every time. But that's the inside of Lars's mind. Just colors, flashing, confusion, Gene Wilder screaming. Like, that's, that's gotta be what's happening there because I never really get it I never get it Gertie says I know you didn't have bad intentions I just want you to acknowledge that you should not have said anything and that you messed up and you're sorry and Lars's response is we're not in preschool because you know the teacher would be like say sorry and that's it but when you told me I felt horrible Larsa what the fuck are you talking about just say you're sorry just say you're sorry like I I don't get it Gertie says in a confessional she's like the little engine that could but Larsa can't (laughs) so you just gotta be like whatever (sighs) she's let's all take a break a post Larsa break the next day Julia tells Adriana over breakfast that she has no clue how Marisol knew that it was her ex that she was talking to and I feel like Julia (laughs) I don't know. I, I'm kind of on Marisol's side with this. Like, Julia's acting like there's some greater, bigger reason how Marisol knew that. But you said, I'm not going to say who said this, but they warned me about you. And I have a feeling like she says that she's hung out with this man several times in the past year. You don't think that it's possible that Marisol would have picked up on that? Because you're talking about how lovely he is, how much you guys have hung out. Like, this reads talk. That's probably how she put two and two together. This I don't think there's a great conspiracy to how Marisol was able to figure that out. But whatever. This leads into the ex apparently telling Julia how Marisol hacked into his computers after they broke up. Put a voodoo doll of him in the freezer with pins in it. And how she told him that if you ever cross me, I'll find all the ways I can to punish you. To which Adriana says at a confessional that Leah Black told her... She and Marisol go to the same Santeria woman. That woman told Leah that Marisol showed up with a picture of Adriana saying that she wanted her dead. (laughs) Okay. Okay. 
Like, she was so freaked out about Marisol going to the Santeria lady, but had no smoke for the fact that Leah Black also goes to this woman. Didn't think that was weird. But but Marisol going? Oh, let's talk. (laughs) So then Lisa decides to surprise everybody with croquet. Cool. While she goes to the offices to finalize the scent notes on her fragrance line, which she says in the... I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> but she says in this uh, meeting with the scientists who are putting her out, putting the fragrances together, like all this, the people at Aroma Six Three Sixty Company are... She's like, you know, I'm really hoping that this scent sends a message of empowerment to me and whoever wears it. This is like what wealthy women who have never had a job had a job think things would happen. Like somebody's gonna find empowerment in this scent, Lisa Hochstein by Aroma Three Sixty. Whatever the hell she's gonna call it, butterfly probably. Have I talked to you guys about my my um not even a theory like it's just an observation that when you see a housewife go through a breakup, check her jewelry, cause. Somewhere in there is going to be a butterfly necklace or a ring. I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I get the the symbolism, but it's just so funny to me. It happened to Ramona. <laughs> Sign those divorce papers and the butterfly jewelry comes out. Like, it, check it and thank me later because you'll start to notice it. So basically after that, she's like, Nicole, now we're still in the me- middle of this meeting, Dr. Nicole asks her, okay, Lisa, like, what does your future look like for you? What's the rebirth? What's the, like, I'm free, breaking out of my chrysalis sort of thing? Is it the divorce? Is it moving out of the house? Like, what's going to get you to that next step? Lisa says the next chapter will, or the this chapter will close when she doesn't feel resentment and anger towards Lenny. And j- she just wants to be happy because she hasn't felt that in a long time. Feels like she's been losing herself. Just wants to be the beautiful butterfly that she is accustomed to being. Okay. Crying. The lady in the lab coat just like, oh, okay. There's there's a guy there standing, sitting on the edge of a couch. Like, oh, I guess this is what's happening. We're just, she's just going to cry. Okay. Like, are, is this meeting over or, cause I don't think we were done, but that's, that's fine. That's fine. So basically... Nicole tells her, like, you're going to be your own woman. Just try to control the things that you can control. And that is yourself. This is a really great start for you. Really, really great. So while the other ladies are at croquet, they're driving in these uh, old classic cars. The 57 Chevys, which is like my dream car. I have wanted this car for 30 years. Not even kidding. (laughs) I want to drive in one. I would go to Cuba to drive in one, I would take pictures outside of it. Like, I don't know what it is. I've really got to, like, for somebody who does not give a fuck about motorized vehicles, I, I really have a lot of care for <laughs> for classic cars. But anyway, one of the cars breaks down. So they're all having to pile, like, six in, a, in the back to get to this croquet place. They're having lunch on the field. Very cute. Marisol says... I don't think we're old enough to be here. Like every peer person we saw was a card carrying member of the AARP. And that's about it. 
I'm seeing a lot of varicose veins here. I don't know if we belong. Then Marisol's phone beeps and Alexia looks over her and goes, what, you got another something about Lenny again? And Marisol goes, oh, I have Google alerts. Now, she did say on Watch What Happens Live that she set these up in the beginning, like the first iteration of uh, Miami, on like all of them. Like just Real Houses of Miami was the Google alert. So that's why there's been a lot of Lenny and Lisa centric recently. So she reads out the headline about how Lenny went to the courts claiming that Lisa was bleeding him dry financially and spent 10k in a month on instacart to which everybody's like girl how the hell how the hell did you spend ten thousand dollars i couldn't even do that lars is saying i have four kids and i only spend about five hundred dollars a week so what's going on but also sephora is on instacart and i know that lisa's obsessed with her makeup so maybe that's what it is and then she tells everybody that she thinks that maybe lisa's using that money to um you know keep jody fed over at his house Ooh, lisa i hope i hope you see that and i hope you bring that up at the reunion this is your bestie right your bestie so basically the episode ends with larsa actually giving for the first time we, we upgraded her RAM just briefly. Maybe we pulled out the floppy disk and just blew it and flipped it, you know, and then stuck it back inside. Maybe she undusted herself. She says, I've been in the same position as Lisa, where we're financially dependent on our husbands. She really needs to think about pulling back and being more conservative financially because this is not going to last forever. Right? So Marisol... Gets the ball rolling. Now, we just had this conversation about how she likes to start shit and then not get into it. She says, well, what do we do? You know, because we all need to talk to Lisa about pulling back. But how do we do that? Because every time we try to bring stuff up, she gets upset. So we'll be holding court for that. And I'm excited to see what happens. Uh, and let's end this with Southern Hospitality. You're a f***ing liar. You're a f***ing liar. I am not. Liar! You told me she texted you and you blew her off. You're a f***ing liar. F*** you. Dude, look. It's very broken now because you broke my phone. But can you just look and read it? No, you texted look. her last. She blew you off, you f***ing piece look. of shit. Hey, it's one of my buddy's birthdays. I'll be celebrating that this Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, that's saying I'll be out and I'll be celebrating. I'll come meet up with you. You're a liar. You that just told me. I'll meet up with her. You literally just told me at that table that she f***ing texted you and you blew her off. I blew You're her off. You're a that's, liar. That's Let's end this with a recap into episode two, season two of Southern Hospitality. You guys, I think if you're not watching the show, you might be missing out, but also you might not be listening to this recap if you don't watch the show. So maybe this might be falling on deaf ears. Anyway, um, so everything's popping at Republic at the top of the episode, except for Maddie, who's laying on the couch, staring at her box of takeout broccoli because Trevor may have or may not have hooked up with yet another girl after he cheated on Maddie and they got back together. Now they're living together. It's a mess. The next morning, Joe Bradley is in his little studio. He's inviting Brad and TJ over to hang out. He's hungover. He says in a confessional, this man is really full of a, an interesting soundbite. He says, you know the phrase work hard, play hard? When you work at Republic, you're working and playing at the same time. So we work hard, play hard at work, and then we play some more after. So it's really like work, play, work hard, 
work, play hard, and then play hard again. It's like play squared. <laughs> and then the boys crack open some of um, what I learned is Morgan Wallen's canned tea brand because Joe's mom likes to stock his fridge. They all get in bed together and just gossip about what's going on. Now, first, Brad asked Joe Bradley what his favorite hangover cure is. And he's like, oh, I don't know, like probably jacking off. And then TJ just looks over about 18 inches and it's like, what's on your curtains? These black curtains. What's, what's this white mess on this black curtains? He's like, oh, you know, maybe that, that could have been a misfire. Like, it really looked like it. Like, I don't know what else could have gotten there. Gross. I'm surprised they could even show that. Dried cum on Bravo? How dare you? So they ask Joe Bradley, like, where are you at? You're trying to date? You're trying to get a girlfriend? Whatever. And you know, forever a certified lover boy. You know, I, I want a girlfriend, but, you know, every time I try to find one, it just doesn't work out. And then he says in a confessional that really it should be a lot easier to find a girl in Charleston because it's like eight girls to two went to do two dudes. But every time he tries to get into a relationship, everybody just thinks that he's a fuck boy. So those three vow to have a single boy's summer without being fuck boys. But speaking of, they start looking at the new guy, the Irish guy, O'Sheen's Instagram. Because he also has an OnlyFans. To which TJ's like, oh, I definitely paid $12 to see his boner. Apparently, O'Sheen calls himself the milkman because part of his shtick is just to pour milk over his thick rugby Irish body and... They go, so what, do you have to pay extra for the milk? <laughs> Probably. Oh, I also heard something. Okay, so apparently O'Sheen is friends with Brock and Sheena. He's got a picture of Sandoval up there on his Instagram. So I guess maybe he was on... I'm tr I tried to find, like, where I saw this. But allegedly, we'll just say allegedly... He was on uh, the last season of Vanderpump Rules because remember at Sheena's wedding, there was a situation where I think Lala was getting like, some guy was like running up on her and like touching her inappropriately or he said something inappropriate. Do you guys remember that? They never showed his face. Apparently, allegedly, that was Oshin. I mean, small world. Oshin also gives us his origin story, which is that, I don't know, something about the pandemic. He ran off to Tulum, ran into Maddie. They shared, you know, glow sticks together. And then she told him, oh, why don't you come up to Charleston? So that's why he's here. Let's move on. Then we see our, our queen, our fairy princess, Grace Lily. She's driving her little Mercedes. She's looking in the rearview mirror, not to practice any sort of safe driving, but to tell herself, you're a diva. You're a goddess. You're perfect. I love you. Grace is very funny. Grace is exactly like it could her driving to Maddie's could exactly sum this up because she's in the uh, Mercedes and you think everything's great. But when she parks outside of Maddie's, she has to put her arm out the window because she can't open the car door from the inside. <laughs> so she has to let herself out. And that's really why I love Grace Lily. I really do. So, like I said, she calls Maddie on the way. I mean, obviously she's going to Maddie's, but they have this phone conversation where they're just, like, acting like they're going to pop in. So she tells Maddie on the phone that she just took her cat to get spayed because she still wants her cat to be able to have sex but just not get pregnant, like her, who has an IDUD in. So 
Facebook. You're like, I want her to be just like me. I don't think that's how spaying, I know that's not how spaying works. That's not the purpose that you can keep fucking. But okay, sure. She's been dating this dude named Liam. Where She's very much like a, if I ask, believe, receive. Like, I manifest things. I wanted a boyfriend one night at Bourbon and Bubbles. I found him. We've been together for eight months. It's great. So Grace stops by Maddie's house, right? It's actually not her house. She says that she had like two hours in between a double shift. So she packed all her shit and went over to her friend's house on the beach. So then Maddie tells her what Brad said. And Grace is like, I don't know. Like you and Brad have had issues before. Are you sure he's telling you the truth? Because I think he's had it out for you for like a while. And then Grace says in a confessional, I think Trevor really cares for Maddie. And I think he genuinely, (laughs) she farts like, and I, I think Trevor really cares for Maddie and, oh my God, did I fart? Oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's so embarrassing. But honestly, I think Trevor's a good guy. People just don't give him enough credit. And we hang out all the time. We went to Tulum together and, you know, I just like that my boyfriend and Maddie's boyfriend are friends. Like, okay, well, this is, you don't want the dynamic to change. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. So she tells Maddie... Just take what Brad said with a grain of salt. Get the whole story from Trevor. And then she says, make him call the girl on speakerphone in front of you. And so she can tell you, you can hear her side of the story as well. So then we have to go over to like Emmy and Will. Their storylines have always felt so disjointed. I'm not sure why we're doing this. Emmy still works at uh, Republic. Republic Garden and Lounge, excuse me. Will, who used to work at Republic last season, he had this whole storyline about, I don't know if I should try to go into the restaurant business and open up bars or do what my parents want me to do and go to law school. And to see now Levitt actively being like, you know, I think you've got a future with us. I I really think you do. Telling this guy to not, well, like basically telling him not to go to law school so that he can work under Leva for the rest of her life. Devious behavior. Devious. Thankfully, Will is going to law school. Emmy's very pleased because she just wants to be like a wife of a lawyer or something. He's fulfilling his parents' destiny. He doesn't seem like he really wants to do this, but it just seems like... Um... What, what would you call this? I was Not the plight of a white man, but, you know, sometimes you get in these situations or your family make you pressure you to do things and continue a legacy that maybe isn't interesting for you. You do it anyway, because that's just what's expected of you. I think that's really what Will is doing. He doesn't seem too excited, but he's going. So that's not my problem. They do also talk about Maddie, because apparently Emmy's been doing a lot of heavy lifting down at Republic Garden and Lounge, and they have, like, pooled tips. I don't know what you call it, right? But, like, you guys pull all the tips at the end of the night, and everybody gets paid out equally. So she's pissed because Maddie's just running around chasing Trevor's pedicab instead of working, and she's busting ass selling bottles, only to split it with people who haven't been pulling their weight. And so Will's like, you're better than her. So I guess our storyline with Will and Emmy is that Emmy's going to be gunning for Maddie's position at Republic Garden and Lounge. Don't care. (laughs) Okay, so finally, 
Not not finally. Lucia and Mia meet up to have drinks. They're besties. Lucia's out of a job. Mia also out of a job because she tried to stick up for her girl. And Lucy is not thrilled about it, but this is like a very much a friendly conversation. Like you could tell that they're actually besties. So Lucia is like, you know how I really like I do want to go back to Republic, but I wasn't able to have that conversation because of, you know, the fact that you defended me and, and Leva fired you while I was sitting at the bar hoping to have a conversation with her. And he was like, yeah, I, uh, I think my thing probably may have made your thing worse. My bad girl. <laughs> Lucia does say in a confessional, like, I know Mia was trying to have my back, but I'm in this weird spot with Leva now because I don't know if she thinks that I sent Mia to speak on my behalf I don't even know if she knows that I want to talk to her at all. So this is like an awkward place. So conveniently, Lucia gets a text message from Leva. Now that I've had some time to calm down, I'm here to meet you sometime next week. So Lucia says, great, I'll see you. And she says also in a confessional, like, I'm more than just an employee to Leva. I went to her son's birthday. I brought my son to the birthday. Like, we have this whole history together. Which is my very first complaint about season one of the show is that Leva's very all in like this is a family. We got to fight for the family. We got to sell bottles of Vuv as a family. That's the only way we're successful. And it's just very manipulative business practices, I think, on behalf of bosses to rope them into this idea that you guys are all in this together. But there's never any place for people to grow. And much like Lucia, you could think you're a friend to your boss one second and the next second you're filing for unemployment. You know, tough stuff. After that, Joe Bradley organizes a boys night to celebrate Will getting into law school. So they ask him because Will's still in a sling from breaking it, getting into a charity boxing match or something. I don't know. How are you able to still have sex? In your sling. And he's like, well, Amy just does reverse cowgirl. Like, I just lay there and do all the work. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Cool. So O'Sheen says in a confessional, I just pictured Emmy with somebody a little bit more masculine. Somebody with some huevos, if you will. Well, well, we see your huevos everywhere and the milk on it and all of that. So great. 
Back at Republic, Maddie is clocked in for a shift. Hopefully she's going to be there the entire time. But everybody else is like done with her. They're tired of her relationship drama. They're tired of her leaving work early with a shovel and other garden tools. They just don't want to hear any of it anymore. So Maddie makes this whole thing in a confessional about how she's coming to work to take her mind off of Trevor, be busy, you know, get her headspace somewhere else. The very first thing Grace asks her, how are things with Trevor? How is it? Also, do they give the, the, the ladies at Republic Garden and Lounge matching sunglasses? Because <laughs> those big ass champagne colored a choice. A real choice. Or was that like just a Maddie and Grace thing? Did you guys just get matching sunglasses? I really, I would actually like to know. <laughs> Is this a Republic Garden Lounge official or not? Let me know. Anyway, so she says, you know, I just feel all this pressure to make a decision about Trevor. I don't want to do that. I just need to figure things out right now. Like blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Trevor is texting her all this stuff while she's at work. I love you. I miss you. Uh, hugs and kisses. XO. Like all this love bomby shit. So then we get to Leva meeting up with Lucia. And she tells her, you know, Lucia, I just wanted to get my bearings before we spoke. Pfft, okay. With Mia? Because you were upset about Mia? Okay. So Lucia says, <clears throat> I know you were just trying to... I, and I don't mean that Mia was just trying to have my back, but I would just like to ask for some grace. Because in seven years, I've never been in trouble at all. And I wasn't drunk. I just took a little swig. I, so I would just like to clear that up and make it... Like, not make it seem like I'm just drinking behind your back. So Leva goes, well, the difference is when you break a rule... It becomes a safety issue. And those are such hard lines. And it's just not acceptable to have any alcohol, period. And if I keep you and not the people that I fired four months ago, you know, there are just certain things that are black and white. And I, I can't do it. I just can't do it. So then Lucia is like, all right, is there any room for employment anywhere else doing anything at all? And Leva says, well, the door is closed as far as Republic. The decision's been made, and that's just something we cannot reopen. So at that point, Lucia's, like, getting emotional, kind of tearing up, and she's like, I'm just trying to get my job back, babe. Like, and Leva's like, well, what do you want me to do right now? So Lucia says, I'm sorry. And she's like, no, I know you are. I'm sorry, too. And then Leva says in a confessional that... Even her husband, Lamar, was walking around their house being like, fuck, why did we fire Lucia? Because she's like really, really important to us and like a little sister to us. But you fired her. You have not had a conversation with her. You're taking space because Mia advocated for her. And you're telling her there's not a single thing you could do about rehiring her in the place that you own and your husband owns. And y'all are just like, there's no possible, there's not a thing we could do. How much do you guys actually own Republic? <laughs> what is the ownership level here? Because, and I'm not saying that, like, she deserves to. Okay, fine. If, you, if we're just very strict about our rules, then we can be very strict about our rules. Fair enough, right? Like, rules is rules, okay? And, and that's it. But to act like... There's nothing I can do. My hands are tied. I just think that that's like a little bit trying to shirk your response, shirk your responsibility, <laughs> shirk your responsibility a little bit here and, and not be like, I don't know. Like it just to me, if you were a boss, then maybe you would just like 
be very forthright and not, I don't know. I, I, I just felt like this was maybe not the most professional, but this is why you should not believe your bosses when they say that you guys are friends, when they are always going to hold her power over you and that they benefit directly from your work and your labor. This is why you shouldn't do it because it ends up being really messy and emotional. And also, <laughs> Leva said, um, they, the waiter comes to ask their order. She says, just give us whatever the chef recommends. Just like a couple things. They don't even get to the meal. She's like, um, could you just pack the meal up? Like she fully knew. She was going to take that home, that food home to Lamar and Lamar Jr. Devious, <laughs> devious behavior. So then she's like, you know, I just want to help you, Lucia, but I can't. I hate that we're here. I really, really do. So Lucia says in a confessional, I'm shocked that we're here. I had seven years of loyalty and grinding until three o'clock in the morning. And it's just over like that. So Leva tells her, I have to put business worse first. <laughs> and, you know, I really hope, I really hope that something better falls into your lap. I, I really hope that for you. Thanks. I guess I'm just in a place of like, fuck you at that point. Even if I'm wrong, I don't want to hear about how sad it makes you. I don't want to hear about how you think my life could be improved at like maybe in some nebulous point in the future, this will all make sense and you're going to live a better life away from me. Like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Let's calm down. Let's calm down. Because Leva says this is just really hard for her because in business, you're going to always be misunderstood, but I have to be okay with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you seem very comfortable. Back at Maddie's friend's house, we actually find out that she's now crashing with her friend and Oshin. Oshin lives in that house. So now they've got this whole like college girlfriend thing. Oshin's making them dinner. They're listening to, to disco every night. Like it's, it's a good time. So we watch Oshin and Maddie getting ready in the bathroom together. And he's like, okay, girl, what is your end game with Trevor? And she's like, oh, I'm just exhausted of the cycle that we're in. Like we're always fucking and fighting again. And Oshin says when he met Maddie in Tulum, she was like this butterfly, but Trevor keeps bringing her down. And he thinks, you know, once something is tainted, that's it. There's no going back to it. So they're talking and getting ready, but Maddie gets distracted by her phone because Trevor's blowing her up. Oh, she'd actually crack me up because he's looking at her, looking at her phone. He's like, what's going on, girl <laughs> He really is one of the girls. So Maddie tells her that, tells him that like Trevor's basically love bombing her. And he's like, well, what does that mean? Because he thinks that it's an orgy. She had to explain it to him. So Maddie finally, at the end of the episode, decides to meet up with Trevor. And they sit down at this bar and she's like, I thought you were my person. My person would never put me in this position. If you cheated, Trevor, it's going to come out regardless. But he swears up and down, nothing happened. He did not cheat. Maddie says in a confessional that Trevor had already admitted that he had gone out and been drunk and inappropriate with a chick. She knew that prior to Brad confronting her. But she didn't know that they had made out. So Maddie takes Grace Lily's advice and is like, bet, I want you to call this woman on speakerphone wouldn't you know it oh my phone's dead no really like it's really dead like no for real okay so she goes over to the bar to ask them for a charger and they're just sitting there just sitting there waiting for his phone to get to like eight percent twelve percent we get over ten we got a phone call going 
So he's like, what are we going to do? Just sit here until my phone turns on? She's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> then while she's like, okay, for real, before I get this phone again, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Did you cheat on me? No. So she goes to get the phone back and he's taking forever. He's like, you want me to call her? Yes, bitch. She just said, y'all have been sitting here in silence to wait for your phone. And now you're going to sit there. Do you want me to call her? Yeah. And that's how I would have known this was some bullshit. Because you don't, this was the main event. And now you're acting like you don't know what, what? Huh? Oh, you want me to call her? Really? Okay. So he's pushing, he's pushing all these buttons, 75 buttons. Like he's so busy. Like he can't just press contact call all these buttons. So Maddie finally rips the phone out of his hand and she sees their text thread where the chick is saying, Oh, what are you up to this weekend? Like you want to hang out? And he's saying, Oh, I'm going to be at like my friends, my boys event for something Saturday and Sunday. Like I'm, you know, whatever. You told me you blew her off. I'm done with you, you fucking liar. She throws his bouquet of Whole Foods flowers that he got for her right before this on the ground. She's leaving. Trevor chases her. It's like an alleyway that they're walking down. So Trevor chases her and she starts yelling, you're a fucking liar. She, she, he pulls his phone out. She grabs it and throws that on the ground. <laughs> Laryngitis girl behavior. We see you. We see you. Fuck you, Trevor. So Trevor says, can you look at my phone again? Look, I told her that I had plans. And she's like, yeah, a minute ago, you told me you blew her off. You're a fucking liar. Liar. You just lied to my face. So Maddie says in a confessional that her definition of blowing somebody off is blocking them or saying, oh, I don't want you in my life, whatever. Or maybe like, hey, I've got a girlfriend. We probably shouldn't be hanging out. No, nothing. I agree with Maddie, like, I don't think that he, whatever he was like trying to get off on, technically, not it. Because if I was a chick and I had like met some guy, made out with him, and then I, we exchanged numbers and stuff and I was like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm just hanging out with my boys. Like I'm going to be busy at like a bachelor party or whatever the fuck. I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, he never wants to hang out with me again. He just blew me off. No, that sounds like I'm busy. I have plans. And maybe that's like a gentle way out, but it's not, I would not also defin define that as a blowing off. That was not a definitive, no, we can't ever hang out again, or no, I'm not interested, nothing of the sort. It was just, oh, you know, I got plans this weekend. And then Maddie says, you know, I text you all the time, and you never answer, but you're living on your phone. So now I see what you're doing. Now I see what you're so busy doing on the phone. Disgusting. What did I do to deserve this? His reaction is like kind of smiling. Like he almost thinks this is funny. He's definitely not taking her seriously. This is not like they're having two very different conversations. He's treating her like the silly drunk girl at SantaCon, who's like in her feelings because he said hi to a girl and not the girl who's like, I love you. And I thought we were going to have a forever and you just fucked it up. He's like, <laughs> okay, okay, whatever. He claims I didn't do anything. And she just looks at him with tears in her eyes, just shaking her head. Drama, just full drama. <laughs> I love her.
I love her. So she walks away in her uh, orange, her burnt orange palazzo pants. And he's like, oh, what do you want me to do? Keep running after you? She keeps walking and he does not follow after her. So we'll see. It does seem in a preview that um, somebody tells, excuse me, Maddie that, um, excuse me, that the girl, <laughs> I'm having hiccups, that the uh, girl that Trevor, the, excuse me, that the girl actually kissed Trevor's friend, not Trevor. But the girl seemed very adamant that it was Trevor. So we'll see. Stay tuned. You guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Bye.